This is Father Patrick Briscoe. And this is Father Gregory Pine. This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jansen. Welcome to God's Planning. Thanks to all of you who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation to us on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to God's Planning wherever you listen to your podcasts. So here we are in Holy Week already. Mm. Can you believe it? Where has this Lent gone? I This is the thing. Everyone acts like Lent is always a surprise. <laughs> Like, oh my gosh, where did Lent come from? How can how can Easter be here already? When we get these calendars published, we know when these things are coming months in advance. And this year, decades. And this advance. year, yeah, exactly. This year it was a a late Lent, which means there should there should be more time to prepare for the event of Holy Week, and yet still people are surprised. I was chatting with a um, Catholic uh, shop owner. How do you describe this? Liturgical goods store proprietor. <laughs> These are the words I'm looking for. I've done this before. Um, I'm used. It's like you to went down talking. to the market. I'm... We're talking to like the shopkeeper and like you know. Anyway, so I was talking with the guy that sells church goods, and uh, because I needed to buy something, and he said, "Yeah, this is really our busy season." <laughs> And the idea of a church store having a busy season, I thought was great. And then it made perfect sense. He said, yeah, because all the priests forget to order everything for Holy Week until the last minute. <laughs> well, that's said, the thing ah. with like Holy Week, even in like here at DHS, because it's so, it only, it happens once a year. So you think like, yeah, we know what we're doing, but it only happens once a year. So it's like, when it comes to like, Holy Week, like we've never done this before. And we have to like, it's like, it's like a new experience for everyone to go through like Holy Thursday or Good Friday. It's like, guys. We did this like 50 weeks ago, but such is life, you know? So hopefully your pastor remembered to order the palms for Palm Sunday and that you, and that you received them um, this year. So, uh, so as we, uh, as we enter into this Holy Week, um, today's episode, we'll be praying through the readings for Palm Sunday. Uh, and in order to prepare ourselves for that more prayerful meditation, uh, let's begin with the collect for Palm Sunday Mass. Let us pray. Increase the faith of those who place their hope in you, O God, and graciously hear the prayers of those who call on you, that we who today hold high these branches to hail Christ in his triumph may bear fruit for you by good works accomplished in him, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Father Gregory, could you lead us into the first reading? A reading from the book of the prophet Isaiah. The Lord God has given me a well-trained tongue that I might know how to speak to the weary a word that will rouse them. Morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear, and I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard. My face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. The Lord God is my help, therefore I am not disgraced. I have set my face like flint, knowing that I shall not be put to shame. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the uh, really profound connections um, that, that we have that appears so prominently in the liturgy is the idea of Christ as um, Christ as a fulfillment of uh, this man of sorrows, this man of suffering that the prophets have predicted. And here from Isaiah, we get this extraordinary description of what this one who suffers for 
uh, for all will be like that morning after morning, he opens my ear that I may hear and I have not rebelled, have not turned back. I gave my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who plucked my beard, my face I did not shield from buffets and spitting. This um, this suffering servant, this man of sorrows who goes uh, gently to the slaughter is depicted fantastically in the um, new film, Man of God, um, which is about the Greek Orthodox Saint, Saint Nectarius. It's a really amazing film about a saint, a man who was just attacked unjustly over and over again. He was slandered. He was banished from Egypt in Alexandria and ended up the head of a boys' school and then went to a small island, um, Aegina, to found a monastery and just, just kept being pursued over and over and over again by these persecutors who leveled these horrible false accusations against him, uh, basically because they thought he was going to become patriarch and because he was a saint, they didn't want that. They were afraid of what the saint might do to them. So they just relentlessly tormented this guy. And in the film, he's depicted as just bearing it gently over and over and over again, thanking God for the persecution of, you know, as the, as the reading describes, uh, of giving his back to those who beat him, his cheeks to those who plucked his beard. He just offers himself over and over again to their attacks, um, gently lending himself. So this, this priest, this holy saint of the Greek Orthodox Church, who's depicted in the film Man of God, is a great example of the man of sorrows, the suffering servant from the prophet Isaiah, these readings, which of course uh, uh, apply to Christ in a, in a really extraordinary way um, this Holy Week. One of the, I guess, features we could say, one of the realities of Christ as the suffering servant is uh, how Christ, as Father Patrick was describing, how Christ approaches the suffering and, and ultimately the cross and the crucifixion in in as much as he wills it, um, Christ isn't sort of forced into the cross, into his suffering. He's not, um, it's not something that he, either that happens to him against his will, but, you know, as we know from the scriptures, uh, Christ um, comes for this very purpose. And the, the prophecy of Isaiah here speaks to that, um, as, as we heard Isaiah say, um, you know, it's the suffering servant does not rebel. He gives his back to those who beat him. He gives his cheeks um, to those who pluck his beard. He does not shield his face. You know, so there's this active acceptance, um, active sort of pursuit of the suffering um, on behalf of the suffering servant. And in in that, in 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 as much as Christ actively pursues and stays stays fast, is steadfast in the face of suffering, so too his disciples ought to be, of course, by his grace. But um, it, it sort of, I don't know if begs the question is the right turn of phrase, but offers us um, an opportunity to consider sort of our choice in living the Christian life. How have we set ourselves in the face of our own suffering, in the face of our own obstacles, in the face of our own temptations? Do we sort of will, um, is our will involved in following Christ? Is, do we choose to follow? Do we choose to trust? Do we true choose to live the Christian life. Ultimately, it's a question of, you know, what do we desire? What are we after? What is our end? What are we chasing? Um, and I guess perhaps looking at Christ as the suffering servant, it might be an extreme way or an extreme comparison in in, in looking at our own lives, but is one that we ought to take um, heed of in the, especially this week of Holy Week, as we approach the great mysteries, you know, what have we chosen? What do we set ourselves towards and for? And 
ultimately is the Lord the one we trust, as as the suffering servant says. So thinking about the witness of St. Nectarius that Father Patrick mentioned, uh, and obviously the witness of Christ, which informs the witness of all the saints, uh, I'm struck by the fact that it's not a witness which you can easily or readily interpret just on its own terms. So if you see somebody who's just getting kind of beaten up, taken advantage of, victimized, your first thought isn't like, ah, yes, what an efficacious sacrifice. You're like, ah, how terrible, how horrible, this need be stopped. And so I'm in coordination with that thought. I'm struck by the fact that the reading begins with mention of a well-trained tongue. And there's a sense in which the preaching or the teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ gives a kind of concrete determination or specification to his witness. If our Lord just came, got beaten up, killed, and then moved on, as it were, his witness would lack something of the kind of coherence which we have or which we kind of prize in the present day and age, because it wouldn't, it just wouldn't readily make sense to us, but by the grace of the Holy Spirit, whereby we can interpret it. And so the Lord, with his well-trained tongue, joins to his witness, his preaching and teaching, so as to specify, so as to determine what's at stake. And there you can think of a kind of connection with the sacraments, for instance, like baptism. Okay, there are many reasons for which you might pour water over another human being, you know, to cleanse them. Before we started recording this episode, Father Jacob Bertrand called me a foul man. <laughs> so uh, maybe it's because I'm foul and I need to be doused in water, you know, generously and gently given by my brother um, for reasons unrelated. Uh, but, uh, but in the case of sacramental baptism, the words, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit are wed to that gesture so as to specify it, so as to determine it. And I think this gives us concrete indication of how we're to live. You know, it's like you've, we've all heard it said, um, you know, preach the gospel when necessary, use words. Uh, it's like, okay, well, when is it necessary? I think it's necessary to make sense of our lives to others and in a certain sense to ourselves. Like our witness, we can't just content ourselves with saying like, yes, I'm just being a witness and I'm not speaking. Well, you, you have to speak sometimes in order to help others make sense of the hope which is at work within you so that they can partake of it, so that they can share of it in their own, in their own way. With that, let's turn to the second reading. A reading from the letter of St. Paul to the Philippians. Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped. Rather, he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, and found human in appearance, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Because of this, God greatly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, those in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This reading from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, um, this sort of canticle is, is not an uncommon one for those of us who pray the divine office. It's, um, we come across it regularly uh, throughout the weeks of praying the Psalms. Um, but the 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 word grasped in the first little section always leaps out at me, and it's something that catches my attention um, because it stands in in uh, I guess contrast or opposition to uh, 
to to how the Christian life ought to be lived and received and, and really just life and uh, our invitation to share in God's life and divinity ought to be something, a gift to be received, not something to be grasped. And if we look at, you know, so many of the gospel parables, um, the paradox of, of the seed having to die so as to, as to grow or, you know, that life comes from death, the paradox, even of the cross, um, these aren't things to be grasped at, but rather the Christian in imitation of Christ is, is one who gives totally, one who gives himself completely. Um, and this is what this canticle that St. Paul records in his letter to the Philippians is precisely after reminding us that, that when we sort of grasp at what we think ought to be or what we want for ourselves, it's really sort of a death that happens, a sort of suffocation of our humanity. But when our, our lives are poured out as, as Christ was poured out, when our lives are given in charity, when our lives are given um, in love of God and love of neighbor, um, there's, there's a real sort of flourishing and freedom that comes. And ultimately, this is aimed at what the end of the canticle, uh, what the end of the canticle uh, proclaims, right? That every knee should bend, that those in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ, Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, this ends in, in worship of God, in the true worship of God, um, but not just a sort of individual worship, but that every knee should bend, that, that the whole cosmos, the whole creation ordered to the worship of God, ultimately for which that which we are made. So when we think about Christ, Christ's emptying of himself in the incarnation, ultimately, uh, the emptying is, is accomplished, achieved um, totally on the cross for our sake, not simply for our sake, but also so that we may follow in his footsteps in, in the same sort of pattern of life um, appropriate to, our, to ourselves, but um, to, to arrive at this great glory of, of worshiping God here, you know, as the, with the foretaste here on earth, but ultimately forever in heaven. I think this passage gives a beautiful example of how Christ is a monstrance of the divine life who makes us to be monstrances of the divine life. And there, okay, so we know what a monstrance is. It's the thing that you put the Luna in with the consecrated host for adoration, but monstrance in the sense of like, it's a way or it's an instrument for telling forth a reality which you want to enshrine or which you want to communicate. So Christ tells forth enshrines communicates the divine life why well he's god okay uh but he also he, he he passes his godhead as it were through the prism of his humanity and what we see refracted is a kind of visible spectrum of glory which for us as human beings is more readily what would you say more readily seen more readily assimilated uh more readily conformed to because it's it's spoken in our language it's spelled out in our own human idiom um, and so in this example, we see Christ being obedient. All right. Now, obedience doesn't exist in the Godhead. No one like person of the Holy Trinity is obedient to another whole person of the Holy Trinity because they don't cause each other, right? They don't um, rule over each other. They subsist in the divine nature co-equally and co-eternally. But there's a sense in which uh, the human obedience of Christ, the virtue of obedience, where he and his humanity is obedient to the Father, shows forth his filiation, shows forth his sonship, shows forth that he has his Godhead from God the Father without in any way being diminished by comparison to him. And what does that show us? Well, Christ shows us the Godhead. He shows us in human terms by human virtues so that in assimilating those human terms and those human virtues, we might be drawn up into the divine life and subsequently tell it forth 
in this world and unto ages of ages. So, you know, his obedience, obedience unto death, obedience in love becomes for us the principle whereby we are saved from our own disobedience, from our own pride, from our own re rejection of the divine terms, such that we can partake richly of that divine life, which he brings to bear on our human reality, which set power, force, you know, subtlety and beauty. Uh, and then ultimately, we become caught up in it, we become drawn up in it. And so in this hymn, you see this kind of movement of Christ emptying himself and being exalted to the glory of God the Father, uh, the authority of whom is reflected in his human obedience. And we're meant to be caught up in that same movement to the glory of God the Father, such that the whole hymn of our lives ultimately resounds to that same strain. Yeah, the uh, themes that I had identified from this reading have been captured, so you're stuck with a recapitulation of them, but the Father Patrick version of what Father Jacob Bertrand and Father Gregory said, so maybe it will sound different enough to you to remain interesting. But it's clear to me that the, that like the tongue is the great theme of this, uh, the the great theme of this Sunday, because we have the the uh, exhortation, um, well, hymn of praise, really, to, uh, about a well-trained tongue um, from the prophet. You know, thanking God for this gift. Uh, we have the meditation on the word, the one who is spoken uh, and who speaks truly in the second reading from St. Paul to the Corinthians, and that when this is recognized, we, we proclaim him, right? We say the name that is above every other name. Every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord. And then in the gospel that we're about to meditate on in the procession, the people cry out in praise and in acclaim, recognizing uh, Christ beyond them. So uh, to continue this theme, to, to extrapolate it a little bit more, as Father Gregory was saying, sometimes it is necessary to say something, as he pointed out, for the defense of the faith. But as Father Jacob Bertram pointed out, sometimes it is necessary to say something to praise God, because this is the end for which we were made. So we have this twin, we have this twin, uh, twin work of the tongue, this uh, defense or explanation of Christ, the word, um, and an embrace of it, uh, which we call praise or acclamation, as we together cry Hosanna before our God, King. Um, so with that, let's turn to the gospel, um, Father Jacob Bertrand. Yeah, a note on the gospel this year, well, every year, Palm Sunday, there are two gospels. There's a gospel at the procession uh, with, Paul, with the palms at the beginning of Mass, and then there's the gospel at the typical place. This year, we're going to look at the gospel from the procession. Um, so it's the gospel from, from Luke. So a reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus proceeded on his journey up to Jerusalem. As he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples. He said, go into the village opposite you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tethered on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone should ask you, why are you untying it? will answer the master has need of it so those who had been sent went off and found everything just as he had told them and as they were untying the colt its owners said to them why are you untying this colt they answered the master has need of it so they brought it to jesus threw their cloaks over the colt and helped jesus to mount as he rode along the people were spreading their cloaks on the road and now as he was approaching the slope of the mount of olives the whole multitude of his disciples began to praise god aloud with joy for all the mighty deeds they had seen. They proclaimed, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. 
He said in reply, I tell you, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. One small thing from this Gospel that I'd like to highlight is the fact that our Lord is provident even in his death. And, you know, you hear stories of people who, even as they grow weak later in life, even as they might suffer from chronic pain or chronic illness, they're still busy about the task of taking care of those whom they love. So even though they might be very much diminished in their humanity, they still express their humanity through a kind of service. And I think that you see the source of that, you know, in the God man, in a kind of, what would you say, sublime way here in this gospel. So at the start, you have this kind of prophetic gesture, a prophetic utterance where he says, go grab the colt, untie it. No one sat on it. This guy's going to say this to you. You say this to him, and then it's all going to go well. And it, and it happens. It happens as though it's been planned that way. And here's the thing. It has been planned that way because Christ is God. God is provident. And so he is able to orchestrate the movements of all of these different, you know, actors or dramatis personae who come together here at the climax of salvation history. And he shows in a way that he showed, you know, at the transfiguration in a way that he shows here that he's not scandalized, as it were, by the ugliness, by the seeming, what would you say, haphazardness of all the events which will follow. It's, it's, it's like we as human beings are tempted to think that it could have been otherwise or it could not have been or I myself may have reacted differently or we could possibly have extricated whatever ourselves from this situation without incurring such guilt or whatever it is that you're tempted to think or that we're tempted to think. We do so with a kind of tranquility, with a kind of peace of spirit, with the recognition that, that God has foreseen it, God has foresuffered it, and that God has provided for it in love. So our Lord is able to give indications as one who has already, what would you say? He's already seen all that transpires, not so as to rob it of its liberty or to rob it of its drama, but really to, you know, kind of fill it up, really to invest it with deeper meaning and deeper significance. So as we enter into this Holy Week, you know, it's a thing that we've done before. It's a thing that we'll do again. And perhaps, you know, our mind might tend in this, that, or the other direction, but perhaps we're tempted at some level to think that it could have been otherwise, or it could not have been, or there's something about these ritual gestures, these ritual actions, which aren't as significant as they could have been. But here, our Lord just disperses that foolishness and says, no, enter in, because it's something that I've seen, it's something that I've known, it's something that I've loved, specifically seen, known, and loved for you. <laughs> Very nice, Father Gregory. The, uh, the the part that I love about this entry into Jerusalem is that it's a recapitulation of Bethlehem, right? We've got Christ entering on a colt. We can think of how the Virgin Mary rode that poor little donkey uh, to Bethlehem. Where is Christ on the way to um, as he enters Jerusalem? Well, he's going to a borrowed space um, to an upper room, which is not his own, uh, which the disciples are about to arrange, which is like uh, when he was born, he was born in the stable in the manger, right? Because there was no room for them in the end, a sort of, a sort of borrowed and temporary space. And then of course we had the great theme of kingship. Um, the Kings, the great Kings of the East came and paid Christ homage uh, in the feast of the epiphany. We commemorate this action of the Holy Magi. Here we have something, uh, something like that, a, a public, uh, proclamation of praise of uh, recognition of Christ's kingship, a ballet before him. So when you're, waving your palm branch on this Palm Sunday. Um, think of Bethlehem, uh, that first coming of the child, and see in this great mystery a recapitulation or 
maybe even a completion of what Christ uh, has come to work. One of the things, and this is, again, picking up on themes that have already been mentioned, but one of the things that uh, leaps out from the reading of today, of Palm Sunday, the readings of Palm Sunday, but you see all the way through, I mean, through the Gospels, but particularly through Holy Week and the as we approach the crucifixion, is that um, in God's providence, as Father Gregory was saying, God instructs. He gives um, instructions to his disciples on what to do. He knows what the the owners, presumably, or the people around the cult are going to do. And there, there's clear instruction given, not as a way to vitiate freedom or sort of manipulate and control from a kind of like divine setting, but as as um, as something that is evident of God's plan, of God's um, the culmination of God's plan that it's in some ways, and I guess, and really, and always we could say that, you know, our Lord is in charge, um, even in what would seem as the most kind of like confusing of circumstances, um, where I think we're all familiar with, uh, the sort of, um, the playing out of the, the crowds that praise him on Palm Sunday are the crowds that jeer him in the, um, in his, in his crucifixion and his passion and his suffering. And, the, all, all of his trial and his and the carrying of the cross, you know, all of this sort of confusion and chaos that seems to be happening, the scattering of the disciples. It's clear that Christ is in charge. Um, and thank God for God being in charge, if we can say it that way. Um, it, all, it ought not to just make us aware of God's providence in this week um, of Holy Week, but, but in our in, in creation, in directing creation to him, but in our lives in particular too, that God instructs. He has a plan. He moves our hearts towards that which they're made for. Um, again, not to sort of vitiate our freedom, but to open our minds and our hearts to nothing but him, to lead us to him, to the glory of the resurrection. With that, let's conclude our meditation by praying together the prayer of over the people, which is prayed at the end of this liturgy. Let us pray. Look, we pray, O Lord, on this, your family, for whom our Lord Jesus Christ did not hesitate to be delivered into the hands of the wicked and submit to the agony of the cross, who lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Thanks again to all of you who support us. If you'd like to tithe to our work, check us out at patreon.com slash godsplaining. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. That really helps us, uh, especially your little comments we love hearing them they're so very encouraging so write something write something funny and father gregory will give it a shout out visit godsplaining.org to shop our merchandise and get dates and information for upcoming godsplaining events we've got a lot of cool things going on this summer so check it out uh, most of all thanks for your prayers know of our prayers for you god bless